0: You may have a seat or remain seated if you're in your recliner at home. So glad that you're joining us in one way or another. This morning we come to a new beginning, a new beginning in a number of ways. We are at the beginning of a new series. We're studying a new book. And this new book that we are looking at marks the beginning of the New Testament. That's right we are going to begin a very in-depth, hopefully spiritually beneficial journey through the gospel of Matthew. And now Matthew begins the New Testament, but that does not mean that we are completely leaving the Old Testament where we spent a great deal of time earlier this year and even in the past year. In fact, from the beginning, Matthew wants to connect what he is doing in his gospel with what has been unfolding throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. Listen to how he begins his gospel, the prologue of Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what the Word of God says. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ could also be written, the book of the origins of Jesus Christ, or the beginnings of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of David of Abraham. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So from the, from the very beginning, we see that the story of Jesus Christ is a continuation of the story that God has been telling all along, from Genesis 1 all the way to Matthew 1, all the way to the end of Revelation. It is the fulfillment Coming to realization of all that God has promised. There's this guy named Jesus. This book is going to be about him. And he is continuing the story that God began in Abraham, continued in David, and now is doing something unique and special in Christ. Jesus is the son of Abraham. And not just any son, he is the son of promise. Now, if you were a Jewish person listening or to this this book being read or reading it perhaps for the first time, this statement would have immediately caught your ears. Because in Genesis 12, God makes a promise to this guy named Abraham that he would make his descendants into a great nation. And through this nation, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. In Genesis 17... When Abraham and his wife Sarah had yet to have any children, and they were getting pretty old, and they were wondering whether or not this promise of becoming a nation would actually happen, God promises them a son. Listen to what God tells them in Genesis 17, verses 15 to 16. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you shall not not call her Sarai, but you shall give her the name Sarah. I will bless her. And moreover I will give her a son by her and I will bless her and she shall become nations kings of peoples shall come from her This nation that will come through Sarah is the nation through which all other nations will be blessed and this prophecy is proved to be true and you can see the unfolding of it in Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 to 16 The whole genealogy shows God fulfilling his promise to to bring a nation through Sarah. And the promise was immediately answered in Isaac. But the the true fulfillment of that promise would come later, point to a a greater moment in redemptive history when the, the, the fullness of God's blessing would be poured out upon the earth. And the line of Isaac was David. And in some ways, he did lead to a greater fulfillment of what God promised to Abraham. He was a, a great king and led this nation that was formed from the descendants of Abraham to perhaps its greatest moment in their political history. And God made a promise to David in the same way that he made a promise to Abraham. And we see that promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 to 16. Let's, let's go there for a moment and see what God promises David in 2 Samuel. Here's what the Word of God says. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus, the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut up all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth, And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. He shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. My steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, Saul, who I put away before you, and your house and your kingdom. Shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. The line of David, or line of Abraham, leads to David. Through David's God, God's kingdom will be established. God will build a house through the son of David. His son will receive the favor of God, and through his son, a line will be established that will lead to the fulfillment of God's promises. What's of note here is that although Solomon is the clear reference to what God is talking about immediately, there's also a prophetic element to what God is saying to David here because Solomon's kingdom will not be established forever. So there's an element of this that points beyond Solomon to a greater king. Again, as with as with what was true of the promise that God made to Abraham, it is now true of what God has promised to David. A future greater fulfillment awaits to the promise that he has given to them. A greater son is spoken of who will build a greater house and establish a greater kingdom, an eternal kingdom that will never pass away. As we look through the, the history of, of the people of Israel, as we consider the, the lineage written in Matthew chapter 1, we see that Solomon's kingdom did not last. In fact, he set the stage for the decline of Israel and how he went after foreign wives and allowed the worship of foreign gods. None of his immediate sons could save it. In fact, they divided the kingdom More often than not, the sons of David's sons led the kingdom into greater rebellion, thus bringing about God's judgment. The deportation to Babylon that we just talked a lot about in Ezra and Nehemiah. You see, a new son was needed to continue the promise given to Abraham and carried through David. A son described by the prophet Isaiah and Isaiah 9, and Isaiah 11, Jeremiah, and Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6, the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 37, verses 24 to 25. Let's consider for a moment what Isaiah writes about this needed son. And Isaiah chapter 11, here's what the Word of God says. There shall come forth a root from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots that shall bear fruit And the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom, understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eye sees, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness. Who shall stand as a sign for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. And that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Papros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, and Judah will not harass Ephraim. But they will swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the peoples of the east. that shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the earth. His scorching breath and like it, seven channels, and he will lead his people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up out of Egypt. There is a son from the line of David who will actually fulfill all that God has promised. He will sit on the throne of David, he will bless all nations by establishing a greater kingdom that will last forever, a kingdom that will undo the, the curse of the fall and will bring about a greater peace than you can ever imagine, not just between men, not just between warring countries, but across every single piece of creation. A set rightness will be brought about between God and man that will allow a set rightness to be established within the created order. The question is, who will it be? And for years, for generations, the people of Israel have been looking to leaders, have been looking to kings to see if they would be the son of promise. Would, Would this guy be the one to fulfill the promise of Abraham? Would this king be the new king that God promised to to once and for all establish the kingdom of Israel as the preeminent kingdom upon the earth? And they looked, and they looked. Would Would it be Solomon, if not Solomon, one of Solomon's sons? Would it be Rehoboam, Abijah, Asaph, Jehoshaphat, Josiah? Any of these kings listed in Matthew chapter 1, but none of them could do it. None of them were the fulfillment of the promise. In fact, most of these kings did the exact opposite. Not bringing about peace, but bringing about judgment. So the people have been waiting. Even after the restoration that we discussed in Ezra and Nehemiah, they have been waiting waiting for a greater work of restoration, waiting for the true son of Abraham, waiting for the true heir of David to come and bring about all that God had promised. They were waiting for freedom. They were waiting for blessing. And Matthew begins his gospel with this incredible declaration. The son that you've been waiting for is here and his name is Jesus. Abraham's had a lot of sons. Let me tell you about them. David has had a lot of sons. Let me tell you about them. But none of them are this son. This son is different. This son is going to be the avenue of God's blessing. This son is going to be the king who will establish a kingdom that will never pass away. This is the son that you've been waiting on. Jesus will be the king that will rightly rule over God's kingdom. He will bring about a great kingdom, God's kingdom. Now, this kingdom may look a little bit different than you thought. I know you're expecting a certain kind of kingdom, but... This is a different kind of kingdom, and you can see it in the genealogy. If you read through verses 1 to 17, you'll see that even the way that God brought about this kingdom is unique, suggesting to us that the kingdom itself is going to be unique. And this is a friendly reminder to all of us that genealogies are not something just to flip by. As you're reading your Bible plans, we are firmly convinced of what 2 Timothy 3.16 says. All Scripture, capital A-L-L, all, that includes genealogies. All Scripture is useful, beneficial, because it is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. And even genealogies are useful for the edification of God's people. So what do we see here? as we look through the genealogy, some some insight into what this kingdom that Jesus is establishing will be. Well, we can see that it'll be a kingdom for broken people. Throughout this list, there's a lot of brokenness. We've already mentioned Abraham and David, and as great as those two men were, they also had very large flaws. Their greatness was minimized because of their brokenness. And not just them, all the kings, even the righteous kings had issues. But there's some even wicked kings in this list. Some of the women who are listed in this lineage had difficult pasts, compromised reputations. And so why it might not be surprising to see women in a genealogy, it may be surprising to see these women. Tamar was guilty of incest. According to Genesis chapter 38, Rahab was a known prostitute, and Bathsheba had an affair with David. And yet, God used them and their descendants, some of which were born out of wedlock, by the way, to bring about his glorious purposes. Isn't that interesting? That even in the establishing of God's kingdom, in the establishing and bringing about Jesus, he shows us how he can redeem brokenness for his purposes. God's kingdom is full of broken people, and that's on purpose. Because when he uses broken vessels, the glory of his light shines through. It's a kingdom that will be for broken people. It's a kingdom that will be for all people. The women are of particular note here. We just don't learn negative things from the women's stories. We learn about how God is expanding the kingdom Through the inclusion of these women. We learn a lot about the kingdom of God from women, not just again for their brokenness. We learn about God's kingdom and the expanse of God's kingdom from their ethnicity. Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba, and Ruth were all Gentile women all Gentile women, and God uses the nations to bring about the blessing to the nations. Isn't that incredible? God has been preparing for this expansion of his kingdom, this expansion of his redemptive work all along. And what was signaled, foreshadowed, in the way that he brought these women into the covenant people will now be expanded in incredible ways as Christ comes on the scene. This kingdom is unexpected, but it will be better than you could have ever imagined with a king who is better than you could have ever imagined. Matthew is declaring to the people, everything that you have been longing for has come. Now sit back and get ready to hear the greatest story ever Just get ready to see the fulfillment come through every page of this gospel and strengthen your resolve and what God has done for you in Christ. Can you imagine the good news? Can you imagine the joy that came from hearing this good news, this gospel, years of silence? Remember, 400 years from where we stopped at the end of Nehemiah to Matthew chapter 1. 400 years of silence, years of waiting, years of struggling under different regimes, wondering if God had forgotten his people, wondering if if God had forgotten these, these promises. And yet, through the middle of that deafening silence comes the greatest most glorious declaration the people of God could have heard and that we can hear today. Jesus is here, the son of Abraham, the son of David. The kingdom of God is at hand. I hope that you're getting a sense of that joy, the joy that certainly had to be felt by Matthew's readers in the mid to late first century. I hope that you're rejoicing because you've realized that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises and that he is the fulfillment of every one of your hopes. And it's my prayer that as we venture in this journey through Matthew, that that conviction will only grow and that your joy will increase as you see more of what God has provided for us in Christ. Now, I want to begin this study by drawing your attention to some themes that we've already touched on that are expressly given here in this genealogy and will be continued out throughout our study of the book of Matthew. Four, in fact, that will help us understand what Matthew is trying to unveil about the nature of God's work through Christ. Let me offer them to you and then we'll talk about them individually. Theme one. God always keeps his promises. Theme two, God's kingdom is different but better. Theme three, God's people are unexpected. And theme four, Jesus is our perfect king. Pretty great themes that we see brought to our attention here in this first part of the Gospel of Matthew, but that we'll see brought up over and over again as we walk through this Gospel. Theme one, God always keeps his promises. It is clear in the Gospel of Matthew, certainly in the genealogy, but throughout the book, that the idea of fulfillment, God's promises fulfilled, is a key theme for Matthew, one of the clear elements of Matthew's good news is that the story of Jesus reveals God's faithfulness. Everything God has promised, everything God has promised to his people, he has realized in the person of Christ. We've already seen a few of these fulfillments, but can I just offer you a few few more of them? This is from the Gospel Coalition. There's five pages of promises That are fulfilled in Christ. I'm not going to read all of them. I'm going to read some of them. Jesus is the promised seed of Adam who would crush Satan's head from Genesis 3.15. Jesus is the descendant of Abraham through whom every nation on earth would be blessed. We just talked about that from Genesis 12.3. Jesus is the son of Judah. Who reigns eternally as king, whose garments are washed in the blood of grapes, and whose hand is on the neck of his enemies, Genesis 49, 8 through 12. Jesus is the Passover lamb who was slain to protect God's people from the angel of death, Exodus 12. Jesus is the greater son of Israel who came out of Egypt. And he is the greater redeemer who brings his people out of a bondage and slavery that is far worse than anything the Israelites experienced there, Exodus 12 to 14. He is the true bread from heaven that actually nourishes and feeds his people, Exodus 16. He's the rock from whom the only life-giving water flows, Exodus 17. He is the fulfillment of the law, perfectly obeying not only the Ten Commandments, but all 613 from the day of his birth, Exodus 20. He is the one, Jesus, through whom we enter into our lasting Sabbath rest, not just for one day out of seven, but for every day now through all of eternity, Exodus 23. He is our great high priest who offers his very body as an atonement for the sins of his people, Exodus 28 and 29. He is the radiance of God, the exact representation of his being, and is the very presence and glory of God among his people, even more than the ark or the pillars of cloud and fire, Exodus 40, 34 to 38. He is the once for all sacrifice that God offered on the altar on the day of atonement and on Calvary. And at the same time, he is the scapegoat that was sent out of God's presence into the wilderness on account of the sin that he bore, Leviticus 16. He is like the bronze serpent that was lifted up And when people look to him in faith, they find forgiveness and healing. Numbers 21, he is the star that shall come out of Jacob and the scepter that comes out of Israel to rule over God's people. Numbers 24, 17, and that's just page one. There are so many more. Four more page the promises that will find their fulfillment in Christ. Friends, there is no greater evidence of God's faithfulness than the person of Jesus Christ. In him is the embodiment of all God's promises. And we will see it over and over again in the Gospel of Matthew. Anybody need to hear about that today? God's faithfulness? I know I do. He is faithful. He is steadfast, friends. The world might seem unstable, but hear me, God's promises are not He will accomplish what he has determined. And even when your world seems like it's falling apart, you can rest sure in the faithfulness of God. And Matthew is a reminder to that. It may seem like God is silent. It may seem like he's forgotten you, but he is not. He is up to something incredible. And Jesus is the evidence of that. Theme two, God's kingdom is different, but better. Different than we, ex- than we expected, but better than we could have ever imagined. The kingdom that God will establish in Christ is glorious. It is mind-boggling to the human mind, but it is better than we could have ever imagined. Certainly, there was a hope among the people of God as they are sitting under regime after regime after regime, that God would come and liberate them from physical earthly oppressors and that he would restore the physical kingdom of Israel to its former glory as it was under David and Solomon. And I'm sure they hoped that as they were established as the preeminent nation upon the earth, they could revisit what they suffered ten times over over those whom they would conquer, but Jesus was going to be a different kind of king. And he was going to build a different kind of kingdom. And much like the kingdom was built in a way to defy our expectations, this kingdom will be established in a way that will defy our expectations. This kingdom will be the kind of kingdom where the poor in spirit are blessed. This kingdom will be the kind of kingdom Wherein those who mourn will be comforted. This kingdom will be the kind of kingdom where those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. This kingdom will be the kind of kingdom where the merciful will receive mercy, where the pure in heart are able to see God, where the peacemakers are revealed to be truly sons of God, where the persecuted are held in high esteem, and where suffering is seen as a sign of faithfulness to God. It's kind of an upside-down way of thinking about the world. Very different than humans would conceive of in their own ability. So different, but friends, so much better than we could have ever imagined. Because it will be a kingdom of peace, true peace, Lasting peace. Not just one in which thousands will have to die to secure that peace, but rather one who in fact is the king. Theme three. God's kingdom is different and so are his people. They are unexpected. And this one I think is particularly encouraging for us, for me. We've already touched on this. But this line is not super holy. It's pretty broken. These aren't people, most of them, that we would encourage you to emulate, at least in every facet of their life. There are some good people, but there are also some bad. But all of them are broken. But God in his kingdom is drawing to himself the broken. Because in his restoring of them, his glory will shine. God is concerned, as we will see throughout the Gospels, certainly in the lineage carried through Matthew, God is concerned with those who have been cast off. God is concerned with the least of these. God is concerned with those who the culture rejects. And he is inviting those whom the world rejects to his table. Now don't you know that's a that's an important message for Matthew. Matthew, who authors this gospel, was a tax collector. And at this time, tax collectors were not well thought of. Because not only did they take your money to serve the king at the time, they also took more of your money for themselves. And here they were, living it up, while the rest of the world around them suffered. It's the worst kind of IRS agent, all right? Not just what the government demands, but what they decide they want on top of what the government demands. Tax collectors were not looked well upon. And yet, Jesus calls one to himself. And that moment, when Jesus accepts Matthew, even though the people around him didn't accept him, changed his life forever. It mattered to Matthew, and it matters to us, because, friends, we are the least of these. Every one of us in this room deserve to be cast off by God because of our brokenness. And yet, God has chosen to draw us to himself and to use our brokenness as a means of advancing his kingdom. How incredible is that? What a good God we serve. He's gracious in the midst of his holiness. And just like Abraham, just like David, just like Bathsheba, just like Tamar, just like Solomon, just like Zerubbabel, all the others, we can be brought in to God's kingdom-building work through the work of Christ. We can sit at the table of God. How incredible. And theme four. Jesus is our perfect king. Jesus might not have been the king they expected. We'll see even in the next week as we talk about the birth narrative, how he comes in an unexpected way. But he is the king we need. He is the true son of Abraham. He is the true heir of the throne of David, our perfect king who will rule over us in grace and bring about the peace that we saw in Isaiah chapter 11. And remember how he will do this because the way he brings about this peace is what makes this book a gospel. It's what makes it good news. We don't have to die for him. He dies for us. He's a sacrificial king, a servant king who doesn't have to flaunt his power for us to realize it, but rather he uses his power for God's glory and our good. Friends, we got thousands of years of history to look at selfish, imperfect leaders. And it doesn't take very long to recognize that there's something different about Jesus. He may not have been the kind of king you thought you needed, but he is definitely the one that we do. Friends, the king has come. His kingdom is being established. And Matthew wants you to know that you have the opportunity to join it because of what God has done for you in Christ. I can't wait to spend some time seeing how God's kingdom unfolds, how his promises are being fulfilled, and how all of it is tied to Jesus as we walk through the book of Matthew. And it's my hope that if you don't know Jesus and you've not given your life to him, that you would see the kind of good king he is, you would see the kind of good kingdom that he is building, and you would do whatever it takes to join in, which is simply repenting and believing in him unto salvation. And then for those of us who are in the kingdom, as we see more of what God has promised and fulfilled in Jesus, as we see more of what he is building in Christ in this kingdom, that our hearts would be stirred with love. And that we would be a more devoted people to this kingdom work because of what we have seen in Christ. Here's a question I want to ask you this morning Have you joined this kingdom by submitting to its king in repentance and belief? If not, will you? Will you today? Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and be saved. Surrendering your life fully to the Lordship of Christ. I want you to be moved this morning by the faithfulness of God and join this unexpected people who worship an unexpected king. And for those of us who are in, already in, Are you blown away that you're in? Are you blown away that your name is written down in the kingdom? And then in in spite of God putting you aside because of your brokenness, he is using your brokenness to build his kingdom. My prayer is that you would worship God today and that you would commit to being greater, more faithful inhabitants of this kingdom that God is building through his church for his glory, awaiting the day when our king will return and finish what he started. Wherever you are, would you bow your head? Spend some time before the Lord, asking him to help you know how to respond this morning. Do you need to join today, This kingdom, you can do it right now, wherever you are. If you're in, are you rejoicing that you're in? No business being in it outside of the grace of God. And we praise the Lord for that. Father, would you stir our hearts, not only for your kingdom, but the king who rules over it. Thank you that you have displayed your faithfulness to us in Jesus. Thank you that you established a kingdom that was better than we could have imagined. Thank you that you've allowed us to be part of an unexpected people, unworthy, unholy, but who have made, been made righteous through the work of Christ. And you've given us a greater king who will bring about true peace. May we be the kind of people who look like those themes are a reality in our lives. And may you stir us in this time and the gospel of Matthew to greater faithfulness. We pray in the name of Jesus.